And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship, the ship and their father and followed him. Followed him. This morning, I, I want us to just talk about or preach to you, what, what does it mean to be a disciple? What do I do to be a disciple? What's interesting to me, and we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning, is this. <clears throat> if you're here this morning, and if, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Jesus Christ does not twist your arm or force you or get you in a headlock and give you a noogie until, until you surrender to him and say, okay, I'll, I'll follow you. You see, when you become a Christian, you are his disciple. You're his child. You're one of his. But the thing is, is being a disciple is a daily practical thing. It is not a one-time thing. It is not something that just happens in the past and you move on. But it is a day-by-day lifestyle. It's something that we are to live. It's something we, that we are to be. And here in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus called... Simon, or Peter, and he called Andrew, and it says that they followed him. He called James and John, and they followed him. And so this morning, I want to talk about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I think there's a few things that that we're going to see this morning that um, Jesus lays out that we are to do as a disciple. So the first one, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And I want to see four characteristics this morning of a disciple. I want to see the preference of the disciple, the pattern of a disciple, the perseverance of a disciple, and then the last thing we'll look at this morning is the potential, the potential of a disciple. The first one, the preference of a disciple. Luke chapter 14, look at verse 25. And we looked at this passage a little bit this morning in... um, in Sunday school. So for some of you, this might be a little bit of a review. But in Luke chapter 14, Jesus Christ is about to use some extremely strong language. Notice what he says. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them. So here this this multitude is following Christ, and he turns to them and he says, if any man come to me and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Notice verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. The preference of the disciple. And I get my point from the word hate. In verse 26, now for you and I, the word hate is, a, is an offensive word. It is a strong word. We don't use that word. It, it, I, don't, I, I don't let my kids use that word. My kids throw out that word hate. No, we deal with that immediately. There's no give on that. We don't, talk, we don't use that word hate. Hate is a very, very strong word. And Jesus used it here on purpose. For us, in our Western minds, this word hate is a strong, maybe even a negative word. But for these people, for these Jewish people, for these Middle Eastern or even Oriental people, this was not necessarily a strong word. It conveyed the point Jesus was trying to make. You and I, instead of the word hate, we would use prefer. We would use preference or favor or even favoritism. And literally what Jesus Christ was saying here is if any man is gonna come to me and follow me, then he needs to prefer me, he needs to show favoritism towards me above anybody else. Even a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a son or a daughter, and even your own self. The preference of a disciple. Um. This word was actually used by, in that day, and it signified the fact that a disciple would favor or prefer the opinion of his master 
over that of his own father or mother. Or even the opinion of himself. He surrendered all that to his master. And here Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, then you need to surrender your preference, your opinion, your ideas, your will, yourself needs to be surrendered to me, to me. Now, we may not understand necessarily the Oriental or the Middle Eastern mindset when it comes to this type of thing, but, but let me say this. How many of you have played sports? You played sports in high school, maybe in college. At some level, you played a sport. So let me ask you a question. How many of you had a coach? Now, let me ask you a question. Did that coach say, hey, run over to such and such high school and tell the, ask them what you need to do? Did he do that? No. How many times in a game did you come off the football field, the baseball field, the basketball court, whatever, and you ran over to the other dugout, the other sideline, or the other bench, and you went to the other coach, and you said, hey, what play should we run next? Did you ever do that? You didn't do that, did you? Your coach isn't going to have you on the team very long. Why don't you do that? Because that's not who you're surrendered to. That's not who you're committed to. So where do you go? You go back to the one you are committed to. You made a commitment. You made a choice to be committed to that team. If I may, if I may, if I may make this, this parallel, if you're on Christ's team, if you want to be on Christ's team, then you're going to have to surrender your will and your own ideas to him. You're going to have to give him the preference. You're going to give him the say-so. Not you. Not your mom and dad. Not your wife. Not your husband. You need to prefer Christ above them. Above them. Take your Bibles. Go over to Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew chapter number 10, verse 34. Matthew 10, 34, it says, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. Here's Jesus talking. Didn't Jesus Christ come to bring peace? Well, here he says that he's not come to bring peace on earth, but that he came, to, that he came not to send peace, but a sword. He says, for I am come to set a man at varying against his father, or to be against his father, to stand, to be at odds against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be, they be of his own household. I told you in Sunday school this morning, there's a period there, not a question mark. When you make a choice to follow Christ, and you give Christ preference, and you give him first place, listen, there will be enemies even in your own home. There will be people in your own family who don't like it. I have a hard time witnessing to my family. I have a lot of family in Arizona. Um, most of them are Catholic or grew up Catholic, went to Catholic school. But my parents got saved when I was, I don't know, I think two or three in Beaufort, South Carolina. My dad was in the Marine Corps. And when my parents got saved, they made a decision. We're going to go to church. And there were times when we missed out on family things. We weren't at parties. We miss stuff because we were at church. My parents made a commitment. If you were to sit down with my Uncle Wendell, if you sat down with me and you tried to witness to my Uncle Wendell, number one, he's going to get belligerent. He's going to get really, really angry. And then you know what he's going to tell me? He's going to tell me that church meant more than, my fam than our family. He's going to tell me that church meant more than being at a reunion or a birthday party or an anniversary or whatever it was and it did but he's not a christian you know what he doesn't get it he doesn't get that preference he doesn't understand that priority and ladies and gentlemen jesus christ will take second place to nobody and nothing we get this mindset that he understands 
Because you see, we expect the benefit of the doubt and we expect each other to understand. You know, when we have a problem and you know, we can't be at something or something can't happen, we expect people to say, oh, I understand. Ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't understand. And it's not okay. It's not okay. God isn't up in heaven going, oh, I realize you got something more important than me right now. That's okay. God does not do that. You know what's amazing to me? We make commitments to all sorts of stuff. Sports teams, softball teams, extra duties at work, whatever it is. And we'll be there. We'll do it. Nothing's going to keep us from it. My son, he plays basketball. He wants to play high school basketball. And you know what? It's going to take a lot of commitment. It's a lot more time. And I guarantee you, if my son goes up to the coach and says, hey, coach, I can't be there to practice tomorrow because I'm going to a birthday party. Really? You know how long my son's going to be on that basketball team? A very short amount of time. See, we pick and choose what areas we're committed to. We pick and choose what we're dedicated to or how dedicated we are to it. And God says, sorry, doesn't work. You can't have it both ways. You see, God said in uh, Matthew chapter six that you cannot serve God and mammon. He said, no man can serve two masters. You're gonna have to make the choice to give God the preference and let him choose or it's gonna still be you and whatever else you have in your life. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, he demands the preference. He demands it. And there's no way around it. You can't excuse it. You can't make it work or fit him in. Jesus Christ will not be fit in to anybody's life. He will not be fit in to anybody's life. He demands to be number one. He demands the preference. In Matthew 16, 24, he said, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In Matthew 10, 39, he said, he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. In John 12, verse 25, Jesus said this, he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we gotta get to the point where our life just doesn't matter anymore. I gotta get to the point where Wes Carnes doesn't matter anymore, but Jesus Christ matters. It was interesting, last week, um, the Barnharts paid for us to um, uh, go and see the movie Overcomer, which, which was really good. I don't really watch movies like that because I'll admit I'm a crier, okay, I am. And I don't like to admit that, and I don't like sitting in a um, movie theater and using up all my wife's tissues. But um, there was a part in that movie where the man walks into a, a hospital room, and he's sitting across from a blind man who's diabetic, who's dying. And the man asks him, I don't even remember the guy's name in the movie, but let's say his name, let's say his name is Wes. Let's say it was me. And he looks at, he looks, he's blind, he doesn't look, but he, he says to him, he says this, he says, who is Wes Carnes? And the guy says, well, well, I, I, I'm a basketball coach. And he says, if we strip that away, who's Wes Carnes? And he said, well, I, I'm a biology teacher. And he said, well, if we strip that away, who's Wes Carnes? And he said a couple more things and finally got to the point where he said, well, I'm a Christian. And the man asked him, he said, why is that so far down on your list? Ladies and gentlemen, who are you? Who are you? A teacher, mechanic, farmer, coach, who are you? If we sat down with you and we said, who are you? What would be the first things on the, or what would be at the top of your list? Who are you? Where does Jesus Christ fit on that list? What number is he? Is he the first thing? Is the first thing at the top of your list? I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Is that number one? Or something else number one? Jesus Christ demands to be number one. He demands to be number one. So you have the preference of the disciple. A disciple of Jesus Christ puts him first. 
But not only do you have the preference of the disciple, but next you have a pattern of the disciple. The pattern of a disciple. Take your Bibles, go over to Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 25. Three things we're going to see here in these verses concerning the pattern of the disciple. How does the disciple behave? What does he do? Not only does he give God first place or the preference, but notice the pattern of his life. Verse 23, Luke 9, 23. And he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? So verse 23. Three things I want you to think about there in verse 23. He says, if any man will come after me, so if I'm gonna go after Christ, if I'm gonna be a disciple of Christ, what do I have to do? Let me, let me share an illustration with you. I, I read this online. Um, it, it's interesting how the Middle Eastern Oriental culture is so much different from ours, and the mindset is so much different. And if you were to study um, even the Greeks and their teachers, they had disciples. If you were to go into the, into the Orient, you'll find that they even have teachers and disciples, disciples who give their very life to learn from a master, a teacher. And so um, I was reading, it was a Kung Fu website, which I found interesting. And if you like Kung Fu movies, this might make more sense to you. But um, this man talked about how they went to China and they visited the Shaolin Temple. And he was there, he was a Kung Fu student or whatever, and he was there with his uh, Shifu, his master. And uh, anyway, they told the story of a famous teacher whose name was Damo. And Damo's first disciple was a man by the name of Shen Guang. And Shen Guang followed Damo for 13 years, begging to be his disciple, begging to be his disciple. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't accept him as a disciple. So he followed him for 13 years. At the end of 13 years, Shen Guang became angry and demanded of Damo, why will you not teach me? And Damo declared he would teach his practice. He would teach him. He said, you will become my disciple when red snow falls from the sky. It was a cold winter evening. It was snowing. And he said, when red snow falls from the sky, you will become my disciple. Listen to this. So Shen Guang took out his sword and cut off his left arm. He waved his arm above his head so that the blood would go into the sky and it literally froze in the night air and it began to rain or snow red. You say, well, Pastor Carnes, that's a little gruesome. Yeah, I know. That's a little crazy. I know. Thankfully, Jesus Christ doesn't ask us to do something like that to become one of his disciples. But do you understand the desire, the commitment to be a disciple of a teacher? I mean, that is crazy to go to that kind of length to become a student, a disciple. And here, Jesus Christ says, if you want to come after me, if you want to be my disciple, three things. The first one is, let him deny himself. Here we find that we have a personal responsibility. What's your personal responsibility? Your personal responsibility is to say no to you. To say no to your desires. Because your desires become the desire of the master. To say no to your will because your will becomes the will of the master. To say no to your goals because your goals become the goal of the master. To say no to your passions. Why? Because your passions are going to become the passions of the master. If you're going to become or be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to say no to yourself. And ladies and gentlemen, how hard is that sometimes? to say no to Wes Carnes and yes to Jesus Christ, to say no to Wes, what Wes Carnes wants and say yes to what God wants. And Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to deny yourself. And that word deny literally means to say no, to say no to yourself. 
But not only do you have a personal responsibility to say no to yourself, but notice this one. There needs to be a proper regard. Notice this. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Now, this taking up the cross daily refers to the cross section of the cross, the, the horizontal beam that, that was laid upon the back of Jesus Christ that he carried down the road to Golgotha that he was helped with because he was too weak to carry. It's a reference to that part of the cross. What's interesting is if you do some research about that, the Romans would force a man to carry his cross for the sake of his embarrassment and to prove that they were right and he was wrong. So as he would carry that cross down the road and down the way, I'm gonna turn off this mic. It sounds like I'm hearing, I don't know if I am or not, they might be muted. But anyway, as he would carry that cross, he was mocked, he was belittled, and it was assigned to the Romans, we are right and you were wrong. And ladies and gentlemen, when you make a commitment to Jesus Christ and you deny yourself and you take up your cross, you are saying to God, God, you are right. You deserve me. You deserve my service, not me. And it goes right along with that self-denial. When we say no to ourselves and yes to Christ, then we will carry the cross that he has for us to carry. And we will admit that God is right. And I am wrong. And I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I am his disciple. So there needs to be a regard for God and the fact that he is God and that he deserves my service. I was talking to Brother Dan after Sunday school this morning. It's interesting that God gives you and God gives me the choice. Like I said at the beginning, God is not forcing us to be a disciple practically every day. He is not forcing us to say no to ourselves and yes to him. He's not forcing us to take up our cross and to follow him. He gives us the choice, which is amazing to me. The illustration I read to you of the Kung Fu master, there's no choice in that. It's my way or the highway. It's you don't get to choose. You will be my servant. If you don't, then you're not my disciple anymore. And God doesn't treat us that way. I, I mentioned to Brother Dan, Romans chapter 12 and verse one. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Listen, in Romans chapter one, Paul says, I am begging you to give your life to Christ, to be a living sacrifice. You die and you live for Jesus Christ. But you know what's amazing? It's not a command. He's not forcing you to do it. He's not commanding you to do it. You know what he's doing? He's appealing to you. He says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. Let me ask you a question. What has Jesus Christ done for you? Saved you? Died on a cross for you? Paid the penalty for your sins? Suffered for you? Took your shame and your embarrassment for you? Let me ask you a question. Is that not enough for Jesus Christ to get all of you? He gave all of himself for you and for me. And so here, Paul in Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Live for God. Give everything to him. Die to yourself and live for him. Why? Because of what Christ has done for you. He deserves our regard. He deserves to be right. The reality is, ladies and gentlemen, he could force us to do so. But he doesn't. Paul said in the book of Corinthians, the love of Christ constraineth me. Oh, it constraineth me. The love of Christ forces me to serve him, to live for him. I can't get away from it. I can't get up from underneath it. I think the problem is we've forgotten what Jesus Christ did for us. We forget what Jesus Christ has done for us. We live as if it doesn't matter to us. And it should. It should. So you have the personal responsibility. You have a proper regard. And then the last one is the path of relationship. Notice verse 23 again. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And follow 
me. There is a sense of obedience, a sense of duty. Paul said in Romans chapter one that he was debtor, that he was a debtor. Follow. There is the choice to walk, to follow, to take those steps and to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have the preference of a disciple. You have the pattern of a disciple. And the third thing I want you to think about is this, the perseverance of the disciple. The perseverance of a disciple. Take your Bibles, go over to uh, Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. The perseverance of a disciple. Luke chapter 17, verse 32. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, remember Lot's wife. It's not a question, remember Lot's wife? It's, It's not a question, it's a statement. Remember Lot's wife. You need to be remembering Lot's wife. Verse 33, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Do you remember Lot's wife? Do you remember Lot? Remember Abraham and Lot? They came out of Ur. They traveled. They were a nomadic people. They set up tents. They fed their their herds in the the different fields or in the different pastures. And they would move as they ran out of food. And they, they, they were nomads. They moved so they could feed their flocks. And one day, Lot, his servants, are fighting with Abraham's servants. And Abraham comes a lot and he says, this isn't good. He says, this isn't good. Listen, there's so much here. You pick one direction. He's, Abraham says, I'll go the opposite direction. So what did Lot do? Lot looked, it said, the Bible says he looked. And he saw the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah that they were fruitful, that there was, there was grass and there was food for his cattle and there were streams and water flowing. And, and it was a bountiful, prosperous area. So that's what he chose. But before you know it, Lot's moved into Sodom and Gomorrah. The next thing you know, Lot's a ruler in Sodom and Gomorrah. And because of the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, God says, I'm going to burn it to the ground. You remember God and Abraham kind of went back and forth, and Abraham was was, uh, trying to get God to save finally 10 righteous people, which they couldn't even find that many. Remember the angels went into Sodom and Gomorrah? They had to drag Lot and his family out. God said, don't look back. But what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. And what happened? She was turned into a pillar of salt. You go to Genesis chapter 19, verse 26 sometime, and you'll see right there that she looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Ladies and gentlemen, the perseverance of a disciple, there's no looking back. There's no looking back. Unfortunately, people do look back. People do quit. People stop being a disciple. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul said, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Demas loved the world more than he loved God. Ladies and gentlemen, it is possible for us to love something more than we love God. It is possible. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, it says, And Jesus said unto him, No man. Once again, there is no exception. There is no exception. There's no gray area here. Jesus says, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. God expects us when we put our hands to that plow and we start going forward with him, that we keep going forward with him. The perseverance of a disciple. You have to keep on being that disciple. Take your Bibles, go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll look at verses 1 and 2. Notice what Jesus says, or what the writer of Hebrews says. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Ladies and gentlemen, if we are going to persevere, then number one, we have to lay aside the weight that so easily besets us. What is it? What is the weight? What is our tendency? This is not a sinful thing. He's about to talk about a sinful thing. He's talking about a weight. What is the weight that so easily besets us? Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, this could be as easily a thing as socks. Say, what? Socks? All right, so my oldest son, Wesley, loves socks. The boy loves socks. And so we go to town and we walk into you know, TJ Maxx, the first place we go is the socks. And my son's looking through the socks. Yeah, they don't really have any cool socks, okay? So we leave. We go somewhere else. And there's a brand. It's called Stance. And they make socks. But they have all kinds of socks. And my, bro- my, my brother, my son, has a pair of Captain America socks. And it is Captain America. I mean, they take up the whole sock, front and back. Then he has some Kellogg's Frosted Flakes Stance socks, and he loves those socks. I think he might have some Fruity Pebble socks. And then my, um, my in-laws bought him socks, and one pair didn't fit him. They were too big, so they gave them to me, and they're Cheeto socks. And they have Chester the Cheetah on the, I mean, that takes up the whole front and back of them. They are kind of cool. I mean, I, I can kind of appreciate it. But I hope my son doesn't love socks more than he loves God. And ladies and gentlemen, what is the weight that so easily besets us? What distracts us? What keeps us from being everything God wants us to be? And then he goes on. He says, and the sin which does so easily beset us. So now we've moved past things that aren't sinful into things that are sinful. And here he says, you need to put those things aside. And if you're going to run this race, then you need to be looking unto Jesus. Now, I'm not a runner. And honestly, I hate running. I do not enjoy running. I have run. I have ran. I've done running. However, whatever the proper grammatical structure of that is, I don't know. But anyway, I have ran before. I have run before. Whatever. It's not enjoyable. I mean, my wife, my wife likes to run. And I don't really get that sense of, you know, like self-mutilation. But to me, running is nothing but work. And it's a lot of mental work to tell myself just to keep going. Keep going. Keep going. You're not as tired as you think you are. Keep going. And I just do not enjoy it. But I do know this. When somebody runs, they're not looking at their feet. I know enough to know that when somebody runs, they're not looking at the guy beside them. You know where they're looking? That way. When I was in high school, um, when I turned 16, my parents, for my 16th birthday present, they put me in this, this driver's ed class because, um, one, it was, it was helpful and it was good, but also it, was, it would lower my insurance and, and that kind of thing, so they, they put me in this class. And one thing I learned in that class was what they called aim high steering. You say, well, what is aim high steering? Well, let me tell you. So aim high steering is pretty much when you're driving, you find something off in the distance and you look at it and you will go towards whatever you're looking at. So they would tell you like when you're following a car and like you're in heavy, busy traffic, find a spot on a car in front of you and and you'll go towards that spot. So you'll stay in your lane. They tell you if like you're going around a curve and you know like if it's a curve and you got a guardrail and you got the posts, they'd say look at that post and look at this 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 post, look at this post and you'll smoothly go around that curve. There is a danger though. It's called tunnel vision. And if you stare too intently on something, you'll begin to get that tunnel vision. So they said, you know, you have to be careful of that. But they taught us aim high steering. I still do that sometimes, just like naturally. I mean, I'll just I'll be doing it. I'll, I'll go around a curve and I'll be looking at the post. And I'm like, I'm looking at the posts. And, and, and I just do it. Here, looking 
unto Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're gonna persevere, we need to get our eyes on Jesus Christ and chase hard after him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the perseverance of a disciple, of a disciple. Listen, not everything is, is green pastures and rosy fields and lush and comfortable. Not everything is easy. For some reason, we have this thing in our minds, in our minds that our Christian life should be easy. Let me ask you a question. Is work always easy? Do you quit? Is your marriage always easy? You're gonna quit? Is raising your kids always easy? You're gonna quit? Is getting out of bed always easy? You're gonna quit? There are so many areas in our life that we accept hardship and we don't quit. But for some reason, when it comes to our Christian life and all of a sudden it gets a little rough, we wanna quit. Like somehow God's unfair all of a sudden. It's amazing how, how our minds change and flip and flop on that. But listen, you were never guaranteed an easy road. Never. Never. So you have the, per, the perseverance of the, of the disciple. So you have the preference of a disciple. You have the pattern of a disciple. He needs to deny himself. He needs to uh, take up his cross, and he needs to follow Christ. But then there's one more thing, and that is, the potential of a disciple. Like I said, God does not force you to practically be a disciple every day. The, choice is, the truth is, is you can make a choice to live for yourself. You can. You can make that choice. You can say, no, I'm not gonna live for God. I'm gonna live for me. You get to make that choice. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the potential of a disciple. Take your Bibles, go over to John chapter 12. John chapter number 12. Verse 23. John chapter 12, verse 23. John 12, verse 23. The Bible says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I stand you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall my servant be any man serve me, him will my father honor. The potential, verse 24, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. See, the truth is this, ladies and gentlemen, we have no clue our potential if we'll die to ourselves. We have no clue. You have no idea what God could or would do in your life if you'll die to yourself. Teenagers in here, young people in here, you have no idea what God would do in your life if you just simply give him your desires, your passions, your wants, your goals, your heart, your life. Mom and dad, it's the same for you and me. Grandma and grandpa, it's the same for you. We have no idea what God could do if we would simply give him everything. I, 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 like I said before, I don't know a lot about farming. But I found it interesting here that he says, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. I do know that when you plant a seed, it dies, you know, it germinates and all, all, all whatever happens underground, all that happens and then you, you get a plant, Right? Honestly, most of it really doesn't matter to me. I just like the plant part. But anyway, I was doing a little research, and this is what I found. According to a professor, Jeremy, at K-State, get this, he is a, hey, uh, did you watch the Georgia game last night? Did you? Did you see we tried to blow it again at the end? Yeah, in typical Georgia fashion. Yeah, it was very aggravating. I'm just glad we won. I can't stand Notre Dame. By the way, let me throw this out there. If you're a Notre Dame fan, I'm sorry but join a conference. Anyway, I digress. But listen, so I'm watching the game last night. 
You know, they always have these little commercials about the school. I sat there, and I realized they're a Catholic school, and, and I get that, and I realize that the reality is they don't believe the truth of God's word. I get that, but get this. I watched a commercial about Notre Dame University, and they talked about finding truth. And in that commercial, you saw a kid in a library at a table holding a copy of the Humanist Manifesto. Then you saw another kid holding a book by some philosopher. And they went on and on and on. And at the end of the commercial, they said, Notre Dame University, helping you find truth. That was the end of the commercial. And I looked at my wife and I said, why wasn't there one single mention of God's word? Not one use of the word of God in that. It's garbage. It's crazy. Oh, I did. I did. If I didn't need to finish the, the game, I would have put my foot through the TV, but I had to finish the game, so anyway. Um, so anyway, get this. A professor at K-State, a professor of wheat and forages. What that means, I really don't know. So I, I don't know. Anyway, this is what this man says, though. He says it takes approximately one million seeds of wheat, 100 million wheat seeds, an acre to, to, to reap 75 heads every square foot. So he says, if you want to reap 75 heads of wheat every square foot, then you need to plant about a million seeds every acre. Does that make sense? You with me? Okay. Okay, thank you, math students. So one million seeds an acre to get 75 heads of wheat in every square foot. Now they say that every head has approximately 22 seeds or whatever you call them, okay? 22 per head. At 75 heads a square foot, that's 1,650 seeds or fruit or berries or whatever it is every square foot. So if you plant a million seeds, you're gonna get 75 heads every square foot. And in that square foot, you're gonna have about 1,650 Kernels? Kernels, okay, kernels, all right? So you're gonna have 1,650 kernels in every square foot, but get this, in every acre, there are 43,560 square feet. You know how many kernels you get? 72,022,500 kernels. How many seeds did you plant? One million. And you grossed, or you reaped 72,022,500 kernels. I don't know about you, but I like compound interest. <laughs> compound interest is your friend. You know why? Because a seed died. A seed died. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, the reality is this. You and I, we have no clue what we could reap or what we could do for God if we'd simply die to ourselves and let him be the master and us be the disciple. We have no idea. Take your Bibles one last time and go over to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. So, once again, my wife and I, we were kind of talking about this last night, and this is, I, 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 I want to I say this. This is what we usually do. We talk about dying to self. We talk about following Christ. We talk about being a disciple. And this is what our brains say. Oh, I'm going to have to live in a cardboard box. My kids are going to be missionaries to Pakistan. I'm never going to see them again. I'm going to drive a beater that barely gets me to work. It puts and backfires the whole way. I can't keep my motorcycle. Life is going to be so hard. I can't have fun anymore. Life has to become boring. It has to be horrible. That, that, that's like how we respond to when we talk about dying to ourselves and living for Christ and giving him everything. We act as if God is going to ruin our lives and all of a sudden it's going to be horrible. Is that really what you believe about God? Do you think that's how God views you and that's what God wants to do for you is ruin your life? You realize that's how a lot of kids and a lot of teenagers think? You realize that? But notice what, God, what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 28. 
Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Listen, even the disciples were concerned about this. Here's Peter one day, and he's like, Dude, Jesus, what's the benefit? Jesus, what am I getting out of this? I left, you realize the 12 of us, we left everything. Remember I was out there in the boat, the net, had a pretty good career, living life, you know, mom and dad. We were at home, it was wonderful. But remember you came by and you're like, hey guys, follow me, I'll make a fish of the men. And we were like, hey, we should follow this dude. And so we followed you. And Jesus, we've left all. You see, even Peter struggled with this. Of course, you know, we know Peter and <laughs> Peter had his problems, but Peter even struggled with this. We've left all and have followed thee. Look at what Jesus says in verse 29. And Jesus answered and said, verily I say unto you, there is no man. No exception. Have you picked up on that this morning? There was no exception in Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. I don't even remember the verse now, but there was another no man exception in a previous verse that we looked at. And now Jesus says, verily I say unto you, no man. There's no exception. You and I won't be the exception. There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is no slouch. Jesus Christ isn't looking to ruin anybody's life. Actually, the truth is the direct opposite. He wants to give us life, and he wants to give it to us more abundantly. Jesus Christ wants to give you and me a life that we could never fathom or create on our own. But we're so busy seeking our life, we're so busy loving our life and trying to chase down our own life that Jesus Christ gets bumped down to third, fourth, fifth, 10th, 11th, 12th, whatever it is on the list, and we're so busy with our life. And Jesus says in verse 31, but many that are first shall be last, and the last first. Jesus Christ says, I realize you left all. I realize you gave it all up to follow me and I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Matthew chapter six, verse 33. The Bible says this, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Good verse, isn't it? Is that all it says? It's not all it says. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know what our problem is? We're seeking the wrong thing. We're so busy seeking stuff, seeking the world, seeking popularity, seeking for people to like us who honestly really don't even care about us. We're so busy seeking all kinds of stuff, and we're not actually seeking God. And God says, if you'll stop doing that and just seek me, I'll take care of that. He says, I know you need those things, and I'll take care of you. A disciple. We see the preference of the disciple. We see the pattern of a disciple, the perseverance of a disciple. And then we also see the potential of a disciple. Ladies and gentlemen, our potential Really, until we start following Christ, it's just that. It's just potential. But when we die to ourselves and we follow Christ, potential becomes reality. Potential becomes reality. Let me ask you this morning. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? First, have you accepted him as your personal savior? Do you know him as Lord and Savior this morning? If you do know him as Lord and Savior this morning, have you given him everything? Does he have preference do you live that pattern? Do you die to yourself? Do you deny yourself? Do you take up your cross? Do you follow him? Are you persevering or have you quit? Are you realizing your potential? 
in your Christian life. To do so, we have to die to ourselves. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I ask you this morning, are you a child of the king? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior this morning? Would you do me a favor this morning? If you know, if, you've, if there's been a place and a time, a point in your life where you accepted Christ as your personal savior, would you raise your hand for me this morning? Praise the Lord. I, I want to say that almost looked like everybody. Um, you can put them down. Thank you. If I did miss somebody, let me ask you this. Is there somebody here this morning who would say, there has never been a point in time. There was never a moment where I made a choice and accepted Jesus Christ as my own personal savior. If you're here this morning and that's you, would you raise your hand? There has never been a point in time when you've done that. All right, we're all believers here this morning. We're family. Praise the Lord. Let me ask you this. Are you a disciple? Are you practically living like a disciple each and every day. Does God get the preference? Have you died to yourself? Let me ask you this. Are you persevering or have you quit? Have you quit living for God? Is it just about you now? Are you realizing your potential? Have you died to yourself so that you can bear much fruit? If you're here this morning, you'd say, you know what, Pastor West, I am. I have died to myself. I am realizing my, my potential. Would you put your hand up? Well, let me say this. Thank you for your honesty. Almost no hands were put up. You know what the amazing thing is? Is Jesus wants us to be blessed. Jesus wants us to reach our potential. Jesus is there waiting for us to come to him and say, Lord, I need to follow you. He is waiting and ready for us to die to ourselves. And you can make that choice today before you leave. I challenge you, give him everything. Die to you and live for him. Live for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your love. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to be the disciples we need to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn number